0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Overtime Heroics Baseball Podcast, Cheap Seats Chatter. I'm today's host, Matthias Altman-Kurosaki, and with me today, we have Alex Clark, just the two of us this afternoon on a Saturday. First things first, Alex, how are we doing today?
1: Hey, you know, it's been one of my first, like, real days off in, uh, since my vacation, but since then i started a job and done all these other things, so it's really nice to have a day that's just kind of vegging. Just feels very and being able to actually get eight hours of sleep felt divine. So you know I'm in a pretty good mood right now considering that M's lost yesterday, but that's okay.
0: No I, I get where you're coming from. I mean I've I'm now halfway through this summer course I have going on three more weeks left and you know it's we're coming down to my, the end of my time in Syracuse and it's been very, very tiring, obviously, you know we've basically been. Working around the clock, especially this summer. So, yeah, definitely felt good to sleep in today. I will say, I definitely am trying to take advantage of those Saturdays and Sundays where I don't have to be in class at nine a.m. But other than that, yeah, I'm 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 hanging in there. You know, I'm you know three weeks away from moving back home for a little bit, and yeah, that that's that's where we're at right now. Uh, Anyways, we have a full lineup of topics to discuss today. And the first thing uh, we discussed a managerial firing last week, and we also discussed how the Angels hadn't won in a while. And this past week, in the midst of their 14 game losing streak, the Angels fired Joe Madden in the, I believe it was the final year of his three year contract. To be honest, it kind of stunned me, considering, you know, the Angels were off to a good start, but now you know they they lost fourteen in a row. They finally won a game. They under their first game, their first game won under their interim manager Phil Levin. But in reality, they've they've lost fifteen of sixteen. But I mean, Alex, what are your thoughts? Because honestly, I still am trying to fathom why they fired Joe Madden.
1: I mean, it's pretty obvious why they did. My opinion is that the angels have been known to be making bad decisions especially making very quick on the fly decisions that based on emotion and based on trends and you know sorry for the anti-angels propaganda here but this has been kind of same old angels type moniker where they will try to chase one idea and if they don't get that idea then they blow things up or they don't or things don't work quite well. I mean, Joe Madden has been a pretty darn good manager. Yes, they haven't been to the playoffs recently with the two, but look at the string of injuries they've had. And I don't want to put any of that on Madden. I'm putting that on the front office for not getting enough actual pitching. Like this year, their pitching's been kind of interesting. I'm not going to say great, but has been, you know, interesting. And it's because it's also not been outright terrible either. But my thing right now, when it comes to the Angels, this was a move that was meant, I think, as always a scapegoat type idea, still for the, as like still for uh the upper management, very similar to what the Phillies did with uh, Girardi. Hey, both Joes, by the way. Um, At this point right now, I don't think it was the right move at all. Joe Madden, is a player that is like is a, te- is a coach that is a f- good clubhouse presence because of what he does. Yes, he is, thinks a little more radically than a lot of other managers do, but this is a full scapegoat move from saying, oh, hey, we have a 14-game losing streak. What can we do to change that? Um, we need to make a big splash. Okay, maybe sign someone, maybe make a trade. No, let's just fire our manager real quick. Very rarely has firing a manager mid season done good work. It has a few times, don't get me wrong. They actually just had it with my WSU Cougars in the football season last year. But firing a guy like Joe Madden, it, it, it only makes sense because it's the Angels. If it was almost any other team, I'd be like, what are you doing? But I get it.
0: I'll be honest, I really am just, I'm kind of baffled. Like, this is a guy who also has been around the organization for a while. He, I mean, he was a coach with the Angels after they fired Terry Collins back in the 2000s. He managed them for a little bit before Mike Socia was hired. And then they bring him back just to rush him out the door prematurely because of one bad streak. And bear in mind, like you said, the injuries. I mean, Anthony Rendon just got activated off the IL yesterday. Taylor Ward is on the IL right now. Mike Trout just got injured, although he might be back in the lineup soon. I mean, Shohei Otani got off to a bit of a slow start, but he's played like Shohei lately. That's the thing. It's that also Noah Syndergaard hasn't been Noah Syndergaard like this year. He has an ERA upwards of eight in the past six weeks. Like it's it's not, you know. Raizel Glacius hasn't been himself either this year. His ERA is four and a half, basically. It's just, I can't put this all on Madden, really. It's the roster construction. It's the same deal with the Phillies. It's the, the way the roster is constructed, it's not really meant for success right now. You know, the pitching staff, the starting pitching actually isn't bad with Otani, Lorenzen, Ditmer's, Sandoval, in Cindergard, but of course with Cindergard needing extra rest for this weekend, he won't be facing the Mets. So they had to call up Jonathan Diaz, who uh, he struggled a lot. And I, I was watching; I watched the game last night, and I just they they look flat. You know, they thought maybe Phil Nevin would change things, but really they've only won one game under Phil Nevin so far. You know, it's a difference between this. And what's going on in Philadelphia? I think. Although, again, I was not a, necessarily a fan of firing Joe Girardi either, because you know Girardi is a proven baseball person. You know, he has been around the game. He played. He he was he won a World Series, Heck and Joe Madden's also won a World Series. You know, I get that maybe Joe Madden isn't the manager that some people thought he was with Tampa Bay or what he was with Chicago. But still, like he's still a very good manager. And I think it's a little disrespectful for the angels to fire him. You know, a guy, like I said, who's been around the organization for a long time to, to fire him the way they did. So it was definitely a reactionary move. I mean, I don't know what's going to save the angels right now. Really. It'll come down to, can Mike Trout return to form after this entry? You know, can Anthony Rundone show flashes of what he was in Washington? Can Jared Walsh keep going? You know, Walsh, He's only hitting 248, but, I mean, he has 10 homers. He leads the team – or, sorry, he's second in the team in RBIs. Can Joe Adele play like Joe Adele? I know he just got sent down to the minors again. You know, can the pitching staff get together, especially that bullpen? Because outside of Iglesias, they don't really have many reliable arms. I mean, Aaron Loop hasn't really been like the Aaron Loop we thought he was last year. Uh, Jimmy Hergett has kind of gone through a rough stretch. He gave up that walk-off homer to Bryson Stott. You know, Ryan Tapera hasn't been – what he was last year so really it's the roster is sort of middling right now to say the least so I don't want to blame Joe Madden for the losing streak I understand maybe he's not perfect as is the case with Joe Girardi but I think it's it's kind of disrespectful by the Angels and I, I honestly don't know what Arne Marino is trying to do with this team uh, Alex any other thoughts
1: yeah I I know exactly what's happening is that this is another example of just the angels being the angels and trying to chase a trend and are basically, once it fails, they have to find a scapegoat because there's no way it could be the general manager. There's no way it could be the front office. No, it's all bad luck. Oh no. It's all Joe Madden's fault. No, you look at this roster composed from top to bottom. This team is so top heavy. That everything after that little bit at the top does not measure up. And on top of it, when you have all these players, yes, the injuries are going to be concerned. Yes, you can't always plan for injuries, but the manager is not to be is not that person to be responsible for that. That's on trainers, that's on the players, and sometimes it's just on bad luck. I think that this was a very hot-headed reactionary move to try and jumpstart something. But in reality, it's one step forward, 10 steps back.
0: And I'm also looking, I mean, remember, we've expanded playoffs this year. And the Angels, even after that losing streak, are only three and a half games out of a playoff spot. But the problem is they've slipped to being nine back of the Astros in the AL West. And so it's, it's kind of hard. Like, you know, they're sort of in that, that borderline, like that gray area where they're not really world series contenders, but I wouldn't say they're bad enough to be considered sellers at the trade deadline. So I'm very curious to see how the rest of their season plays out because I mean, just watching them yesterday against the Mets, I was just like, I don't, I don't know what's going on with this team. Like this, this is a, this team has talent. Like you said, though, very, very top heavy led by Trout and Otani, you know, Jared Walsh is a nice player, and Patrick Sandoval's turned into a nice lefty. But after that, it's just kind of, I mean, when Taylor Ward is healthy, he's been great this year. Anthony Rendon has been good in the past, but at this point, I mean, is Anthony Rendon has been? I don't think so yet, but, like, he's – we knew that maybe he wasn't going to be what he was in Washington, like, especially that last year in 2019, he was insane. But – I don't think we expected him to regress this badly. And I understand he's been injured and all that, but like this is kind of, I, I feel bad for him, honestly. And I feel bad for the angels because they're paying him $35 million a year. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's the situation out in Anaheim and who knows what's going to come next. But anyways, uh, we, we mentioned Joe Girardi a little bit and his uh, ever since he's been fired, the Phillies have not lost a game. And they're not the only team in the NL East that has caught fire. The Phillies have won eight games in a row, and the Braves have won nine games in a row. You know, the Braves now up to 32 and 27 on the year. They were struggling to get over 500 for a little bit, but now there they are, 32 and 27. Meanwhile, the Phillies won eight in a row and are finally at 500. They are 29 and 29, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Yes, they are. So, I mean, these two teams, I think, have talent. But what are are your thoughts on the the recent hot streaks?
1: So right now, like this is just how baseball is. It's, It's kind of funny where, you know, we just spent about a good few minutes talking about how the Angels were being reactionary. And then we spent a lot of the last episode of this talking about how the Phillies were being reactionary. And now look where the Phillies are on a huge winning streak. And I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still only a 500, but that's still dang impressive considering that where they were at the NL East is becoming one of the most interesting divisions in baseball. Because right now it's very clear that the Mets are far away right now. The number one team, they are playing at an unruly level and uh, which just makes the Mariners win over them in the series even better. Sorry, Mac. But I like what I'm seeing from this team. And from this entire division, it's just interesting. The top four of them all are, I'm gonna say, very strong contenders to at least make a playoff spot. The Mets are on a are on a tear right now. Uh, Splash's Braves are still playing pretty solid baseball and are above 500. The Phillies are on a hot streak right now at tw- and are have now got back up to 500. And then the Marlins are. Again, they're a, little, they're a little bit down right now, but they're still keeping close in the race, only four games behind the Phillies. And then there's the Nationals. But then you take a look at this entire division and when you have four teams that are all able to compete for something like that, that's impressive. And then on top of it, that's what I love seeing about win streaks like this because it makes the divisions more interesting. I know it's only June. I know it's only June, but when you have tight races, Even in the middle, when you get to the dog days of summer, like that is really good to see. And it makes these games that a lot of people just kind of dismiss half the time, makes them so much more important. And it has a much more stronger feel to it.
0: Yeah. Well, here's the thing is that, so the, these two teams are both are both on pretty impressive winning streaks. The thing is that the Mets coming into this stretch, the Mets had a, I believe it was a 10 and a half game lead. And the so the Braves have actually made up four games. But that's the thing, is that the Braves have won nine in a row, but they're still six and a half games back. But on the other hand, you can say this is that so the Braves during this stretch, they so they entered this stretch losing two games to the Diamondbacks, and they beat the Diamondbacks, swept the Rockies in a four-game series. Swept or the A's in a two-game series, and then have won the first two games against the Pirates. Those are all teams that are under 500, and obviously that's the thing, though, is that during that stretch, the Mets have had to face the uh, the Dodgers, who the Mets split with, the Padres, who the Mets lost two of three to, and now they're facing the Angels, who, while the Angels are struggling, I think they're better than all those teams the Braves have faced. But I'm not, I mean, anyways. Regardless, the Braves are doing what good teams do which is beat up on bad teams it's what the Mets were doing at the beginning of the year too so that's that's good for them really uh Ronald Cooney has played like Ronald Cunha lately uh that pitching staff is slowly but surely getting it together Kenley Jansen's had still I know that Kenley Jansen isn't quite like what he was during his prime but still he's been playing pretty well uh Austin Riley's gotten it together Dansby Swanson's actually had up to an 800 OPS uh Matt Olson is still Matt Olson Ozzie Albies is still struggling, and so are so is Duvall, so is Ozuna, you know. But Michael Harris has been solid in the majors. Um, William Contreras, I know that Slash's boy. He's still still tearing the cover off the ball, hitting dingers. But then, he, then you look at the Phillies, who under uh, manager Rob Thompson, I mean, I mean he's the first manager since Philippe Alou back in two thousand three to win their first seven games as manager. That's pretty impressive. Again, the Phillies, though, have faced – I mean, they faced a struggling Brewers team uh, who have lost 9 of 10 now, which beyond me. Uh, they've – I mean, they've really not faced a lot of tough competition either. That's the thing, is that I think the, the test for the Braves is going to be coming up when they have to face the Giants for four and the Dodgers for three. And then for the Phillies, I mean, they so they are coming off uh, three games with the Angels during that losing streak, three games with the Brewers, and they just faced the Dbacks. They also lost two of three to the Giants. The difference, as a Mets, I'm going to give this from the pers- perspective as a Mets fan. Bear with me, please. The Mets are nine and three against the Phillies this year. You know, so they've already faced them um, twelve games. They still have 14 games left with the Braves. So as a Mets fan, I am far more concerned about the Braves than I am the Phillips. The Braves, I also think, have a much better team top to bottom. You know, and also I, I worry for Rob Thompson, honestly, because while he's on this winning streak right now, what's going to happen when they inevitably lose a couple games? Then all of a sudden everyone's going to say, oh, my God, we want to fire him. We shouldn't have fired Joe Girardi." So that, that's my take on this whole situation. Uh, uh, Alex, any other additional
1: thoughts? Honestly, at this point right now, it you take a look at the divisions right now in all of baseball, right? And I'm having trouble trying to find more divisions that are as interesting. as that The NL Central is definitely starting to become that a little bit with now the Cardinals and Brewers really slugging it out. The NL West will always be interesting when you have teams like the Dodgers and the Padres. Then over in, on the American League side, the AL East really isn't too – I mean, it's pretty interesting. The sole fact that they have four teams that are above 500 and then the Orioles. (laughs) The Central is interesting for basically kind of the wrong reasons because it still isn't looking like there's a whole lot of good teams on it. And then the West is interesting because you have, again, four you have two teams that are at, uh, you have one team that's really at the top and the other teams are fighting to get back up there. So I would say right now, I could put a little bit of, I could put a word on it saying that the NL East, Right now is the most interesting division in baseball, and these winning streaks are the main reason for it.
0: I mean, even the Marlins. I think the Marlins have won four in a row. I'm not saying the Marlins are like a super great team, but they they have guys like Sandy Alcantara and Jazz Chisholm who like they 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 have some solid players too, especially on that pitching staff. I mean, so. It'll be interesting. I also oh, another note on the Phillies. I think so. Bryce Harper is having another MVP-like season. While he can't play the field, he's leading the NL in slugging percentage and in and in OPS and in total bases. Kyle Schwarber actually leads the team in homers though, and in his last seven games, has hit four homers with an 857 slugging percentage. Reese Hoskins has also looked a little better. He hit two homers. So the Phillies' offense has definitely been all right. The their Achilles heel forever is going to be their bullpen because it just I I don't know like Corey Canable's supposed to be their most reliable arm, and even he's been shaky. So that that's what it is. It's it's crazy because Bryce Harper has not made an all-star game as a Philly yet. And we will get into that topic later in the show. So that's that's where it's at. You know, then at least it's it's going to be interesting. Like I said though, I think the Phillies are really going to be hurt by the fact that they are only three and nine against the Mets this year. You know, it's, and one big thing has been, can you beat up on teams in your division? And the Phillies have not, you know, the Braves played the Mets very tough uh, in that four game series at city field back at the beginning of May. So that'll be interesting. And also the Mets have not faced the Marlins yet. If you wouldn't believe it, the Mets have completed their season series with the giants and the D-backs and the Cardinals, the Mariners, and they have not faced the Marlins yet. So, actually, the Met, the Marlins come to Citi Field next week. That is their first series with the Mets on the season. It's June, and they're in the same division, and look at that. Anyways, moving on. You said the NL East is the most interesting division in baseball, but I think I have one that will one-up it, and that is the AL East. And one team that's made it interesting lately is the Boston Red Sox, who got off to an absolutely dreadful start they have won 21 of their last 30 games and they are rolling. They face some good teams in this stretch too. I mean, they, they face the Rays, they face the Astros. I mean, they, they're, they are cooking right now and I know they've beaten up on your Mariners. So uh, give, give me your thoughts on the Red Sox.
1: Yeah. So the Red Sox are a weak team that has gotten extremely lucky. No. um, I think that the Red Sox right now are an exceptionally good ball club, but What's interesting with them is that in baseball, a lot of times we talk about how teams need to get hot, not just certain players, full teams need to get hot at the right time in order to win a lot of ball games, win more ball games. They haven't needed to really do that. Their entire team has been, you know, at a decent level with a few guys really popping off as of late. The main one that really comes to my mind is, uh, you know, a a young fellow by the name of Trevor Story (laughs) has, I mean, I go back to the Mariners series over in Fenway and didn't he hit like seven home runs in that one series? He had one game where he hit three. And I'm like, what the heck is wrong with you? How are you being this good at baseball? But I mean, you take away that series and Turner's not doing near as well, but I hate the idea of taking away things from people. Like you look at his team and just top to bottom. It is so well-rounded. It is so complete. You got Trevor Story, who has an OPS plus of over, of over that 100. Now he's finally got over that bump there. Xander Bogarts, who as a hitter, has done pretty darn well. The same right now is batting 318. And then you have an MVP candidate in Rafael Devers, who has an OPS plus right now of 162. And then you even have JD Martinez as your DH, who has an OPS plus of 168. Like, man. This team is solid at the dish. Then you take a look at them pitching-wise, and they still have really good pitching, too. It's not amazing, mind you, but it's solid. It's good enough pitching to really get you through what you need to do. Like, okay, so I was watching the game last night against Seattle versus Boston, and they had Rich Hill on the mound. Now, I keep forgetting that Rich Hill exists because, my word, he is – old. He's 42 years old. I watch him pitch and I'm going to be real with you, Mac. I respect him, but God, I hate watching him pitch. He throws pitches that should be tater tots. He was throwing pitches that any pro player should be able to hit out of the stadium ad nauseum, high curve balls, sliders and cutters that go right over the heart of the plates, but how he throws them and the amount of movement that he's able to put on those pitches, it's all, watching him throw a, a curveball is like watching an ephus. My God, that thing is coming in at 12 miles an hour with more movements. I'm not going to finish that joke. So it was more movement than a Zumba class. But I, I watch this as I, and I just look at this team and I just think, wow, this is a team that is working together. This is a team that knows how to play together and has that real winning culture that everyone's talking about. On the season, again, Richard hasn't been amazing. Again, a 4.38 ERA. ERA is all right, you know, with a war of only 0.1 and then 11 game starts, 540 strikeouts. You know, that that's uh, averaging just under four strikeouts a game. But I look at this and I just think. This team all together is so strong. Like even their bullpen, like we talk about how important a good bullpen is to a lot of people. Well, let's take a look at their main relievers. Matt Strom, an ERA of 4.08. Austin Davis, an ERA ERA of 1.57. Jake Diekman, a 3.43 ERA. And it really is, it doesn't get much better or too much worse either. Like Saul Mura has the 310 ERA, Brazier a 5.59. But all these guys are s- just solid. That's all you're looking for them to be is just to be solid. And that's exactly what they're doing. They have a few arms that have kind of, you know, struggled a little bit here, but those guys are actually, you know, injured or not playing much on the team right now. Like the highest ERAs of like players that have actually, you know, played a significant amount of time right now are, is Matt Barnes, who's now injured. Here he is a 7.94 ERA. And then Ryan Brazier with that 5.59. Like, that's not bad. If those are your worst, then, then you're doing something right. I look at this team, and this team is strong, and it gets timely hitting when it needs it. Franchi Cordero will forever be the man that has that ruins my hopes and dreams. But I look at this, and I know I've said this phrase so many times, just in this last few minutes. But I look at this team and I see a complete ball club. And if there's any team, I'm just excited to see that if there's any team that can take on the Yankees right now, who are looking like one of the best teams in baseball right now, I think these Boston Red Sox versus Yankee games are going to be intense going forward.
0: I mean, the thing is that because of how amazing the Yankees have been this year, the Red Sox have actually gained no ground on them. They are still 11 and a half games back and are still in fourth place. That's the thing is every team other than the Orioles in the AL East is above 500, and they're all in playoff position, which is insane to think about. You know, With that extended playoff bracket now, the Red Sox would be the, you know, the third wild card team. And if you, you look at this stretch, I mean, after they got swept by the White Sox, At the beginning of May, that first weekend, they faced – so they split with the Braves. They took two of three from the Rangers. They took two of three from the Astros. They uh, Obviously, you know, they swept the Mariners. They took two of three from the White Sox. And they only split with the Orioles and split the Reds. And at that point, you're like, all right, so is this team back or are they not? And then they go, they sweep the A's. They take three of four from the Angels, and they've won the first one with Seattle – Thus far. And this is actually the first time since 1995 that the Red Sox have won seven or more games on a West Coast road trip. So, and then you look at their team stats and everyone was doubting that, that pitching staff. Well, if you wouldn't believe it, their pitching staff has a team ERA of 3.63, which is fourth best in the AL. With that, they've scored the second most runs in the AL. So I think that this is, te- this is a team that a lot of people were sleeping on because of their bad start but so they are much better than people think they are. And if you look at that offense, Rafael Devers, one of the best offensive third baseman in the game. He's been great. A .335 batting average with a 955 OPS. That's absolutely outstanding. You know, he's third in the, elite, the majors, actually, in batting average. Who's he trailing? Well, Luis Arise, who's in .365 for the Twins, and his teammate, J.D. Martinez. Who's hitting 349 with a 967 OPS. And yes, he has had to miss time a little bit, but six homers, 24 RBIs, that's pretty good. Uh, Trevor Story entered the month of May with an abysmal stat line. Now he's at least up to a 747 OPS, nine homers, leading team with 41 RBIs. Xander Bogarts has been fantastic. He's hitting 318 with an 860 OPS. Just you look up and down that lineup, and it's a juggernaut. I mean, it's, it's really impressive. And then that pitching staff, I want to give a shout out to Michael Waka, Mets legend. This guy, you know, a lot of people I feel like forgot about him, but the other day against the Angels, he outdueled Noah Syndergaard, throwing a three hit shutout and a one nothing win. I mean, you have Waka stepping up, Nick Pavetta stepping up. You no, know, him, uh, Nathan Evaldi, and uh, Waka have all thrown complete games this year. That's pretty good. Uh, Garrett Whitlock, both as a starter and a reliever, has been really good. That bullpen, like you said, I mean, Matt Strom has stepped up lately. Austin Davis, Jake Diekman, Salamuda, Tanner Houck, who's kind of a swingman right now. He's, he's been great. Hansel Robles has gotten it together. John Schreiber has been good. The only real people who've struggled in that bullpen are Brazier and the currently injured Matt Barnes. I guess Phillips Valdez, but he hasn't really been used a ton. So I think that the Red Sox, sleeping on the Red Sox is never a good idea and this year is no different so I say watch out for Boston the only thing is the three teams ahead of them are also really good so I don't know how badly they can beat up on the Blue Jays or the Yankees or the Rays for that matter but uh it's oh boy it's gonna be wild in the AL East and I understand Red Sox are only three over right now but just keep, keep an eye out for them down the stretch. Any other thoughts on Boston?
1: The AL East is going to be really fun to watch. And right now you brought up Michael Waka. I think he is going to be pretty darn good. He's done pretty darn good, but, um, just to kind of give a little bit more, um, to give a little bit more, ju- uh, junk to it. Uh, he actually starts today against Seattle and, uh, I really hope Seattle makes people remember why we forgot about him. <laughs> now that's mean, but no, I I just, I think Waka has definitely earned a good place right now. But I really need Seattle to get another win here.
0: Yeah, I remember a couple of years ago when the Mets signed Waka. I mean, he showed flashes of you know, his St. Louis days. I mean, he's a former first-round pick, and I remember when he was an absolute monster in the playoffs back in 2013. But, you know, he, he's battled injuries. He just hasn't looked like himself. And then this year, you know, 1.99. Year, I do not expect him to maintain this. I mean, a 3.76 FIP and only 33 strikeouts in 49 two-thirds innings. But still, I mean, he's doing well. Nathan Eovaldi. Evaldi, Evaldi's interesting because he's a good strikeout to walk ratio of 7.20, but he's also allowed 16 homers, so his home run rate is inflated, but I think Evaldi's still really good, and Nick Cavetta has actually shown flashes of why people have been so high on him. Personally, I thought he was going to be a reliever this year and be their closer, but he's actually looked all right as a starter. So, yeah, a lot, a lot going on with the Red Sox. I think they're a pretty exciting team to watch right now. They were an exciting team last year. I mean, I said, I thought last year wasn't really a fluke, and they're trying to prove right now that I was right. So, yeah, good good for Boston right now. But anyways, moving on to sort of our last little segment of the show, which is All-Star voting has opened. And this is always a fun time of year because you have uh, people vou- uh, vouching for all their favorite players to get in. And remember that this is the All-Star game. So, every in in baseball, every team needs a representative. So what we want to do is, our, with our favorite teams, obviously Alex for the Mariners and me for the Mets, is go through the players that we think are deserving to be, an all, be all-stars. So Alex, with your Mariners, I know that we've said they've kind of had an up-and-down year, but who, who are you looking at uh, getting sent to Los Angeles this summer?
1: So right now I have three from Seattle that I – think deserve it fully and then one that's you know on the fence borderline the first one should come as no surprise to anybody who knows anything about baseball and that's ty france ty france has been a monster playing wise he leads the mlb in hits right now a batting average of 330 and has yet to miss a game this year He has played in every single game for Seattle this entire season. And on top of it, right now has a batting average, like I said, of 330, an OPS right now of 902. I don't think there's any debate that Ty France should go to the Midsummer Classic. Watching what he has done this season has been nothing short of watching a master at work. And on top of it, there's also one other category he leads the MLB in, sadly, and that's hit by pitch. As also in yesterday's 6 game, he got hit twice in one game. Like, the, the dude must be sponsored by Advil or something. But, like, I look at this and I'm, there's no way, there is not a chance that he does not make it, right? <sighs> I I I certainly
0: hope Ty France makes it because he's been outstanding this year.
1: Like, I know that this is probably a little bit of fan bias, but at the same time, it's not. He deserves to start the all-star game at first base. One hundred percent. There's not another first baseman in the American League that has done as well as he has done. Not only offensively, defensively, he's also been pretty darn good. Like I, I almost, I almost curse there. No, he's been near perfect at first base defensively. There's no debate that Ty France needs to be there. The next player that I think truly deserves it here is going to be a pitcher for the team as Logan Gilbert, I think deserves to go to the game as well. A young guy in what is, I was going to say his true first year of the season as last year didn't get a whole ton, to work with, but just kept on building, building, building. Now he's showing what he can really do. An ERA of 2.41 so far on this season. An ERA plus 155, a FIP of 314. So not a whole big, not that big of a jump from his true ERA. This guy has been amazing. I mean, watching him work, he's had a couple of times that have been, you know, a little iffy here and there. but. I mean, he's been really dang good. I mean, you take a look at that for a while. He had an ERA of under one. Under one, guys. Like, that's how good Logan Gilbert has been. And how can you not reward a pitcher that has done that well this season? His pitch mix has been fun. He has been a good arm in the the starting rotation that has gotten people out. And even with Robbie Ray not living up to expectations from right now, Logan Gilbert has exceeded his expectations and while I don't think Gilbert would obviously start the all-star game I think he definitely deserves to be invited to it um and then for my third I was I I didn't know if you wanted to say something on that
0: Yeah, I was I was gonna agree there I mean I think Logan Gilbert I know that he hasn't exactly been like what he was at the beginning of the year to start you know maybe but he's Definitely one of the better young pitchers in the game. I like mean, two four one ERA. I think he's fantastic. So I, I agree. I agree with you. All right, good deal.
1: Um, my last one though, and this is the last of oh, the thing I think guaranteed to make it. And I know I'm going to sound like the Homer here. I am sorry, but Julio Rodriguez deserves to go to the midsummer classic. Looking at what he has done, he, the first month of the season was. Was bad. I'm going to be real. It wasn't great. He was definitely still getting his footing. And even during that, he was still, you know, batting a pretty bad 170, but he was striking out on pitches that weren't in the zone constantly. I mean, it's, it, it, it happens, I guess. But then, but then, this last month, he has been, last, yeah, month and a half, he has been so on fire that he has been one of the most electrifying players in all of baseball. Not just the Mariners, in all of baseball. When he's been playing this in his rookie year, he currently right now has a war of 1.7, batting average of 264 and on base percentage of 329. Given that after the first month of the season, he was batting 170. And to get that batting average all the way up that far. It's incredible watching what he has done. He has the offensive war right now of 1.6 and a defensive war right now of 0. 0.3, watching him in the outfield. Like, I don't know what the closest thing to a sure bet is, but seeing Julio Rodriguez play in the outfield and going for a catch or going to make a, a running play is the closest thing that I have seen in the outfield to a sure fire player there since griffy like that's how good the level defender that he is out there he's great on the field. is great on the field he's a great base steal i think he's still one of the leaders if not the leader in base dealers right now how can this guy not be in the midsummer classic he has on top of it he's also one of the most popular players where you take a look and a lot of people will say who do you know from the mariners they know who. Um, and that's, that's kind of what i see seeing right now. He is a spark bug spark plug player that is so exciting to watch. And I love seeing when he plays cause he also always finds a way to get it going.
0: Yeah, no, uh, with Julio, I'm also looking, I mean, like you said, I mean, he got off to a slow start. He only in April. So he only hit two Oh six in April did hit any homers, but, Especially a great month of May. I mean, since so in the last four weeks, so the last twenty-eight days, he's hit two eighty-six, three fifty-eight, five ten with six homers and seven steals. And he still leads the majors with 17 steals, seven homers. Yeah, he strikes out a lot, but like he does everything else well. And I mean watching Julio play up close and personal at City Field, like he has range that I I I rarely see players have range like him and be able to hit like him so I think I fully support his bid to make the all-star game he's he's a five-tool player really
1: Mm. he is that's what I really love about him is that he is that kind of full level player that really can do it all well that'll give a little bit of credit to him especially for uh we've talked a little bit about how um, he's struck out on pitches outside the zone a lot this season. Yesterday's ball game in the ninth inning, he was up in a situation where he was down 0-2. And he laid off a few pitches to get to a 2-2 and count that each one of them were just barely out of the zone. If it was in April, those would have all been strike threes. And yet he's still staying patient. And that's such a refreshing thing to see from a young player. Now, for the last thing, I said that there was one person that's on borderline, and you'll see why I to get to it. So there's a few other players that I, you know, considered with this Eugenio Suarez is someone who has really been turning up the juice recently. 233 average, but 11 homers leading the team and has had some amazing clutch hitting. Jesse Winker has not done well this season, but it's also been good at clutch hitting wise. I don't think he deserves to make it though. And then even in the bullpen, like having, uh, excuse me, having a couple other guys that have done exceptionally well pitching wise, uh, again, Paul Seawald has had himself a pretty darn good season. So far. 2.11 ERA Pen Murphy since coming up from the minor leagues has pitched phenomenally well in 19 games, a 0.87 ERA. I love seeing it. It's amazing to see. However, the guy that I think is borderline and very well could make it is the one, the only, JP Crawford. JP Crawford has been a very interesting player this season where he's gone very much up and down on the season right now where he had times where he was batting well over 300 and the times where he wouldn't get a hit for five games. But right now overall on the season for him at the moment uh he's currently batting right now at 295 average with 386 on base percentage and slugging 440 for an OPS of 826. Solid. Defensive wise, he's a gold glover. Like I, there's not much more to say. him he is a gold glover, and on top of it, you look at his OPS plus. Check it. He actually has the second highest on, on the Mariner team right now of starters, mind you. Second highest uh with a 144 OPS plus. The only one that has more than him is Ty France with a 165 OPS. Like I look at what is going on with jp he deserves it the problem i see with him is that he has been so streaky this entire season that there are times where he's been absolutely on fire and times where he just can't get anything going do i think he deserves it overall probably yeah but i i wanted to give a little bit more stricter things when it came especially to jp considering that you know when you go through those streaky bits you've got to be able to show that you can pull through
0: Well, I mean, also the thing is that, and I, I was going to mention Crawford because I think he's really looked like the player that we thought he was going to be when he was initially drafted and when the Mariners traded for him. But if you look at the rest of the AL shortstops, the only one at least listed on the ballot that has a higher OPS than him is Xander Bogarts oh, and, and Tim Anderson, although I believe Anderson is injured right now. So really, I think there's no reason for JP Crawford not to be an all-star. I mean, the other thing I want to point out is that he's drawn a decent amount of walks, 26 walks. i sorry, 27 walks against 36 strikeouts. It's not like he's striking out a ton. That's under a 20% K rate. I mean, 295 average, 826 OPS. I think, I think that's an all-star. And he's playing good defense. I mean, he's only hit five homers, but I mean his career high is only nine from last year. So I think JP Crawford other than Ty France, he might be the most worthy guy of being an all-star. And obviously Julio, I agree. I, I definitely think Paul Seawald and Logan Gilbert also need to get a look because the thing is that because every, every team needs a selection, you're going to see some like – I mean, I, I wrote a whole – I prepared a list actually. I mean, I wrote a whole article. I've actually written two articles about like obscure all-stars who like never – like, you know, they just have that one season where they made it or like their team needed an all-star. So that's the thing is that we're obviously going to have to limit ourselves. Uh, I just wanted to take a look at some. I mean, so Joe Mays for the Twins in 2001 is a guy who had a career 5.05 ERA, but he had one good year in 2001. Uh, Mike Remlinger for the Braves in 02, along with Robert Fick, who uh, finished the year actually with a below average stat line. Um, He was actually non-tendered the following uh, after that season, Lance Carter for the 2003 Devil Rays had an ERA over four, but his team needed a rep. Uh, Ken Harvey for the 04 Royals. Uh, the other one I want to mention, the, and this one is probably the, the biggest sign of, oh, our team needs an all star. Mark Redmond in 2006 had an ERA over five in the first half with just 32 strikeouts and 82 innings, but the Royals had uh, lost, I believe, 104 games that year. And they need an all-star, so Mark Redmond was the representative. So just bear, bear that in mind a little bit, I guess, because while I think the Mariners definitely have guys, I think I think all those guys you mentioned are worthy. That's, that's going to limit us a little bit, which is a problem. But anyways, honestly, I don't mind the fact that every team needs a representative. Uh, it could be much worse. But anyways, t- moving over to my New York Mets, the first guy and the most obvious guy, in my opinion, is also the first baseman, and that is Pete Alonzo. He is having a fantastic year. You know, last year got off to a bit of a slow start, but overall he's hitting 281, 359, 538, so an 898 OPS, 155 OPS plus, 16 homers, 9 doubles, and an NL-leading 54 RBIs. I think he's having a fantastic season, and, I mean, is there really any debate on if he should be an all-star or not?
1: No, the only debate I think when it comes to Big Me Pete is uh should he be in the home run derby and how many home runs will the he hit in said yes, home run derby. Yeah, how many homers will he hit in that derby and how many uh birds will uh be falling out of the sky when he hits moon shots that somehow destroy every bird in the sky. <laughs> like, like I mean, what do you what do you want? Big Me Pete has been amazing this year. Looking at him on the season, look, 155 OPS batting 281 for a power here that's incredible 16 dongers like what do you want (laughs) what do you want are you not entertained (laughs) and
0: really i'm excited to see him in the. i'm assuming he'll be in the home run derby i mean he isn't i mean last year everyone's so scared about oh my god you know the home run derby is gonna mess up your swing but alonso only had 11 homers i believe going into last year's derby and he hit 25 after it so I, 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 mean, I think he, he's got to be in, and obviously I think he's going to be an all-star. Sticking on the offensive side of things, uh, Jeff McNeil is back this year. Uh, only three homers, but who cares? He's saying 318 with an 815 OPS, plus second base is in that great of a position this year. So I think Jeff McNeil has a clear path. He also has a number of multi-hits games. He's, in the, he's among the league leaders in that category. So I think McNeil, who also is very versatile, is definitely worthy of being in the All Star game. Yet, like I said, three eighteen batting average, three seventy on base, four forty four slugging, three homers, fourteen doubles, one triple, twenty eight RBIs. I mean, any objections to Jeff? Because I think the Flying Squirrel is is very back after a rough twenty twenty one.
1: No, yeah, the Flying Squirrel is gonna be flying into the All into the Midsummer Classic. I mean, <laughs> come on. Whenever you're batting above three hundred, that's always going to put you kind of in that conversation. But he's doing it again with an OPS of eight fifteen. The only other player that has a higher OPS than him that's a main starter, I would say, uh, is Pete Alonso with an eight ninety eight OPS. Like, I mean, come on, it, it it's okay. Yeah, McNeil, ob- obvious pick that, very obvious pick. Yeah,
0: and obviously, I think McNeil. I mean, then then again, you look at the second baseman in the NL. And i just taking a quick look and he actually, uh, I guess, so Jazz Chisholm is the only full-time second baseman that has a higher OPS than him. So I think, I think McNeil has a chance, especially, I'm, I'm really glad that he's been playing second base ever since Robinson Cano got released. So I think it's fair to say McNeil will be, will, will make it. I mean, he's, he's a utility guy really, but, And then I'm going to go with his uh, double play partner for the most part, which is Francisco Lindor. And I know everyone wants to harp on Francisco Lindor because of that contract. And I understand anytime you have a big contract, it puts a target on your back. But I think Lindor this year, he's sort of bounced back. I mean, sure, he's only hitting 250, but still 116 OPS plus, nine homers, nine doubles, two triples, eight stolen bases, and 45 RBIs, which is among the league leaders. So and, you know, you look at National League shortstops, it's it's weird because there's so much talent at shortstop, but it feels like it's been a down year at that position. The only players with an OPS higher than him at, at that position, in the NL at least, and that, this is among qualified hitters, uh, you have Dansby Swanson, Trey Turner, and if I'm not mistaken, Tommy Edmond, and then Kyle Farmer. So, that, I mean, there's those are four guys, but – you got to add, in also Lindor has been pretty solid defensively, especially if you go by outs above average and by F war, he's among the le- leaders. So I think while Lindor definitely had a slump at one point, I think he's, he, I think he's an all-star still.
1: See, I would agree a little bit. I don't, I don't, I'm not fully sold on Lindor right now. He's definitely, again, done pretty darn good this season. Like, again, 350 batting average is nothing to scoff at, but it's also not really something to fully write home about. He's got a good OPS plus at 116. And you said defensively, again, he's one of the better shortstops as well. I don't know if I would fully go and put him in the game. I think he's a little more borderline, at least for me. But I do think that he at least, you know, deserves some good looks towards it.
0: Well, yeah, that's the thing, though, is, like I said, uh, at that that position, I think that he definitely at least should be in consideration for it. Plus, with the fan vote, I feel like he could garner some more. Um, And then I have one more guy who I think is a surefire bet, especially the way he's pitching, and that is your old friend, uh, and... That is Edwin Diaz, who I know, like, sort sort of similar to Lindor. It feels like everyone wants to beat up on Diaz because of the way he, the Mets got him, giving up Jared Kelnick. But if you look at his stats for the year, I mean, 2.2 ADRA, 11 saves, 43 strikeouts in 23 and two-thirds innings. That's just silly, in my opinion. Uh, 2.42 fifth, which is really good. So, overall, while he can get wild at times, I mean, he's got – a 16.4 strikeouts per nine against a 3.8 walks per nine, which I know isn't great. I mean, you always want to be better than that, but I think, I, in my opinion, that that's an All Star caliber year. And I mean, obviously, he's had a couple of up and down outings, but he's he's responded to when he's been called for the most part. I understand even when he even when he doesn't pitch well, he finds his way to sort of sort of limit the damage you know he's only had one where he's like completely lost it uh and just for good measure he's struck out 45.7 percent of the batters he's faced this year which is insane plus he's still he his slider has been absolutely wicked this year so that's my that that's my other surefire bet i mean i'm sure you have your thoughts on edwin diaz
1: blast the trumpets Blast the trumpets. No, Edwin Diaz 100% deserves it. And I don't hate on Diaz. I love Edwin Diaz. I love Sugar, as we call him still. And I think that he fully deserves it. Watching him pitch against Seattle in that series between the Mets and Seattle, I I was honestly so happy. Like, watching, I loved watching Edwin Diaz pitch for Seattle and seeing him go. He was the part I was sad about when they traded away uh, him and Cano to get Kelnick and all that, and that other package. Um, But realistically, like that's, was like watching him pitch for the Mets was almost like a, like a, uh, (laughs) it was like a father uh, watching a child pitch for another team, or it was like watching, you know, someone else's kid do extremely well that you grew up, helping out Rays like you can't help but feel proud almost he looked electric he still has that electricity to him and I think he fully deserves it
0: you know he's been he's been really fun to watch I understand he like yes he gets into trouble sometimes but I mean I mean watching him pitch yesterday just like you know a non-safe situation which bear in mind last year that was a absolute disaster in non safe situations I mean ERA was upwards of six or seven if I'm not mistaken but he's he's pretty good like you know he you know, like I said 2.2 ERA a lot of strikeouts the home runs I mean yes he's allowed a few home runs this year he's allowed three but that's the thing is that it feels like whenever he does allow a home run it comes at like a an awkward time I mean other than you know, he, he allowed a home run to Bryce Harper, I know, which was kind of a weak home run, but I'm not mistaken. The other home runs he's allowed are Dalton Varsho, which was a game-tying home run. But even then, he bounced back, got the next batter out. I mean, it was like, oh my God, you want to focus on how he allowed that home run? But really, he kept the game tied after that. It's not like he threw another bad pitch the next batter. And he got the win, actually, in that game. So there was that. And I, I know there was another home run he's allowed. Like, I can't remember can't remember what exactly it was, but that's the things that he's been able to escape for the most part. And yes, he has a few blown saves, but that, that happens. But uh, I wanted to go with one other guy who I think is probably more borderline. I understand with DeGrom and Scherzer out currently, I think Scherzer was definitely a lot to make it. But without him, I think Carlos Carrasco definitely deserves a look. I know wins don't mean much, but he's 7-1 and one this year. He's a 3.52 ERA. He's only allowed three homers in 64 innings, which I mean, if there's one weakness on this pitching staff, it's been the home run ball and he's been able to limit it a 2.68 fit, a 1.156 whip, 61 strikeouts and in 64 innings. That's 8.6 strikeouts per nine. He gets only 1.8 walks per nine. And this is a guy who struggled badly last year with injuries too. And was awful in the first inning. I think Carrasco deserves a look for the all-star game. He, if you won't believe it, He's 35 years old and he's never made an All Star game. So, I think I think Cookie, if there's anyone on this in the starting rotation that deserves an All Star spot, I think it's Cookie.
1: Are you trying to tell me that my homeboy Taiwan Walker does not deserve to be in the All Star? Oh no, no, don't
0: get me wrong. Taiwan's Ty- been fine, but uh, his his ERA is higher and his strikeouts are way down. No, and I, no, no. I, fewer I, I, mean, I
1: I just wanted to. No, I, I like Taiwan though. I like homie. Taiwan a lot, and he was an All Star last. I love Taiwan Walker. Anyway. Um, no, I, I think you have a good case here for cookie A 3.52 ERA is always going to be good to look at. I think it deserves looks. The problem that I see right now is that there are just so many good starting pitchers overall. So it's going to be hard to try and get those to get that position, you know? And I think that in order to really be a good starter for these you really have to shine out above the rest, and I don't know if Cookie has done enough. I think he deserves it. I'll say that, like, just outright looking at what he's done, I think he deserves it. But I don't know if he's gonna quite have enough to get there. If you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, no, I, t- I totally get what you're saying. I mean, th- that's the thing though is that so he's currently, we're going by ERA. He's 14th in the ERA. Uh, The guys ahead of him, obviously. I mean, Joe Musgrove's been outstanding. Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Kyle Wright, he's been great. Corbin Burns, Max Freed, Julio Arias, uh, Adam Wainwright actually has had a huge bounce back year. Miles Michaelis, uh, Tyler Anderson, who's also had a huge year. I mean, he had a long scoreless streak coming into this week, which is like Tyler Anderson. I'm not nothing against the guy, but like he has largely been like an average or so pitcher. And then he goes to the Dodgers and is really, really good. So, yeah, there's that. uh, Merrill Kelly, uh, Aaron Nola, and Carlos Rodon. I'm sure a good chunk of these guys will make it. So uh, we'll we'll see. And obviously, like you said, pitchers are tough. So right now I think he's probably on the borderline, you know. Like he could – maybe he's the guy who makes it as – as an injured reserve. And it's interesting because I just looked at an article that has 10 guys who are looking for their first all-star games and Carrasco is one of them, you know, he's 35 years old and he's had some really good years. It's surprising that he hasn't been an all-star. So that's, that's definitely one other guy to keep track of. Uh, any, any of thoughts on like all-stars in general, before we wrap up the show or like potential all-stars.
1: So Uh, try to keep it. I don't know if we want to fully keep it to like our, you know, favorite teams, but if we are, then at least for Seattle, like I said, Eugenio Suarez is one that I think has really shown that he could be that kind of X factor type player. Seeing him this year, he has hit so many clutch home runs. It's been really fun to watch him uh, continuously play on and i I really like what I see from him. He's also played amazing defense. I think he's had on the entire season so far. I think only one error. Um, I'm just double checking my facts though on that right now. But um, looking at Suarez, I think he's one that I don't think he fully deserves to be a you know an All Star. But I do think that he has definitely played very 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 well. He has four errors on the season, but watching him go, he has played better defense than he has in his entire career, in my opinion, at least.
0: Yeah, no, I think A. Eugenio, I remember when A. A it's funny because A. Eugenio made it when he was, it was before that year he hit 49 homers when he was with Cincinnati. Yeah, like he's never been known for his defense, but he's definitely looked better this year. I'd say at third base. Then again, last year you got to remember Cincinnati had him playing shortstop a lot. So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm interested in him because also remember he's replacing Kyle Seager, who's been like a stalwart at third base. So it it's interesting to see how he's doing. But uh, in uh, for players that aren't related to either of our teams, one guy who. My God, am I hoping this guy finally makes an all-star game? Byron Buxton, while he's sort of been streaky this year, he, in 43 games with his recent hot streak, is up to 17 homers and 30 RBIs with a 9-11 OPS. I don't care if this guy's hitting 230 at the all-star break. He is tearing – He's when he's making contact, he's sending the ball flying. I – I need to see Byron Buxton in the all-star game. I understand his defense has not necessarily been the gold glove caliber. We thought it would be, but my God, he's been outstanding this year. So I think Buxton needs to get in. Another guy who's mentioned in uh, that article by MLB.com by Will Leach uh, that deserves to get in, I think is Joe Musgrove. He's leading the majors in ERA. He's, he's just overall been fantastic. So Those are two guys who I think definitely are like surefire. They're going to make their first all-star games this year. Um, Anyways, we're coming down to the end of the show.
1: Alex, any, any uh, other thoughts on anything we've talked about? So right now this, like, again, we talk a lot about how the season is shaping up and we're finally getting to one of my favorite parts of the year. And that is all-star season. All-star is always one of my favorite bits, even though I know that, you know, it doesn't mean a whole ton because all the, I just love the festivities that go on to it, the voting that we can finally say, "Hey, we like this player, MLB. Hey, this player has done really cool things. Notice them and give them things." Like I love this type of this uh, kind of year, and with Seattle still I'm kind of struggling, but tr- sorry to pick things up again, I I just want to give a little bit of shout out to two players, and they were part of my All Star game uh, talk. That's Julio Rodriguez and Ty France. Both of them are so good at baseball. And I just love seeing it. And I just love the whole story of Ty France, especially. Coming over from Seattle in the Austin Nola trade was supposed to be a backup third baseman to Kyle Seager. And potentially, you know, be his replacement if Kyle... Uh, retired. Instead, no Evan White gets injured, becomes a first baseman for that, and becomes one of the best in all of baseball. Like, come on, how can you not like the guy? And I'll tell you, he's also for my heart, pretty chill dude. I like that. And then, you know, Julio Rodriguez. You love seeing rookies come up and immediately start wrecking shop. Like, yes, it took him a month to get there, but now he is one of the most fun players to watch. When he's up at the dish, he looks like a major league player, even as a rookie. Like, I'm just excited watching these two go.
0: You know, I, I I mean, just watching them play from a side, you know, sort of someone who keeps up with the Mariners here and there. Like, you know, those guys, I think, I feel like, the, I mean, obviously Julio's gotten a fair amount of attention from the country because he's, you know, one of the more exciting prospects to watch. But I feel like Ty France really hasn't gotten enough. So, and he, even so with Julio, I think because of his struggles early in the year, I feel like he hasn't gotten enough uh, attention. So, yeah, that's that. That's what I have on those guys. And that's for the Mets. I mean, obviously I want to see guys like Brandon Nimmo make it eventually too. But uh, I, think, I think Diaz and Lindor and Alonzo and McNeil, even Carrasco, I think those are all guys who I think have a shot. Like I said, though, because of the roster constraints where every single team needs a representative that means you'll have to see you know players from those lesser teams like you know this year it's the Nationals and the Reds and the Cubs like you'll you'll have to see those guys uh th- those teams send players so I although I think there are guys like you know the Cubs have David Robertson's say although he's injured say Suzuki he's he's played well and then you know the Nationals have won Soto still the Reds and Joey Bottos look like a beast it sucks because Tyler Stevenson was probably their best bet. And now he's injured, but Alexis Diaz, Edwin Diaz's brother has actually been really good this year. And then, you know, you know the Rockies are our last place team, but they have CJ Cron. So, you know, I think every team in the, it's not like there's going to be some like, oh my God, who the heck is this guy? How is he? And also, I don't think there's going to be a ton of those guys this year, but still there it'll, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens uh, with the roster selection.
1: Real so. quick then while we're on the roster selection, there's one team that I do want to know like who you would put in the all-star game for to represent. That's the A's. Who would you put in to represent the A's? Okay, so. Look so, at a team. and This is tough. I, I'm not sure. Like, that's, that's the thing. I don't know. But, but hitting-wise, okay, well, there's not a person that's batting above 257. That's Ramon Laureano. Pitching-wise, yeah. we're probably going to have to go. And, I mean, Paul Blackburn has done well in 12 games. I mean, so has Frankie Montas. I would say or, I would say, Blackburn's probably the only one I would feel comfortable sending.
0: Well, the, the tough part is also they've lost 10 games in a row. For a little bit, it looked like Danny Jim- Jimenez would be the guy. He's struggled badly lately. Uh, if I were to guess, right now, it's probably either Blackburn or Montas. See, both those guys are having good years. Montas with more strikeouts. Blackburn with a lower ERA. So it's going to be one of those two guys, because if you look at their offense, I mean, they have three guys in their lineup who have it above 100 OPS. Elvis Andrews at 101, he is a 680 OPS. Seth, uh, sorry, Seth Brown right at 100, a 684 OPS. And Ramon Laureano at a 108 OPS plus with, with a 697 OPS. So they don't have a single starting point. Play- they don't have a single player period with an OPS over 700. They have a
1: team OPS of 598. I mean, yeah, it's it's disgusting.
0: So I'm going to assume it's going to be. I actually think it's going to be Montes just because he's thrown more innings, but and has more strikeouts. But I also see a very good case for Paul Blackburn. So yeah, that's the, yeah, it, no. again, it's going to be tough. Like I think you know the Royals are also having a rough year, but Andrew Benintendi sitting like 330 so he'll probably make it, or Scott Barlow will make it. You know, that's the thing. Some, some, Sometimes, like, I know that last year the Rangers had three All-Stars. I believe they were all traded. Uh No, Adalas wasn't traded. Adalas Garcia wasn't traded. But, you know, I remember the Mets in 2019, the sign that they were better than the team that was 10 games under .500 at the All-Star break was that they sent McNeil, DeGrom, and Alonso to the All-Star game. So I think – I think some of these teams will, you know, they'll they'll find someone. It's just the A the A's. I think right now are probably the toughest team to pick. So yeah,
1: that's that's why I brought them up in the last little minute here is because yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's it's, 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 it's a a easy sometimes.
0: Yeah, which is unfortunate. But anyways, yeah. that basically wraps up our show. Uh, for those who are unaware, you can vote in the for the All Star game five times every twenty four hours. So. Vote as much as possible. Remember, there are also two phases. So you'll go phase one, and then the I believe it's the top three vote getters at each position move on, except for the outfield, which I think is a little more maybe top five. Uh, those players move on to phase two, and then from there, they decide on who's starting. Remember that fan voting, if, you're, if your favorite player is not voted to start the All-Star game, does not mean they will not make it. Obviously, you can make it as a reserve. And there's also a number of players who will pull out of the All-Star game due to injury concerns or stuff like that. So just because they don't make it as a starter doesn't mean you, they don't have any chance because there are a number of players who end up getting replaced. Anyways, that basically does it for us. Thank you, Alex, of course, for making it. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. Follow Alex at the Sports Guy Two Four Two. Follow myself at Matthias underscore A underscore K, and of course follow the Baseball Department on Twitter at Baseball underscore O T H we again we'll we'll be pumping things out every week uh it seems like obviously we're going to be sticking with weekends for now but once everyone's schedule clears out we will be you know throughout during some weeknights too but anyways that does it for us thank you all for listening and i hope to hear from you all real soon